So welcome to Open Source Culture on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and uh, I don't know about you, Adam, but I am 100% ready for this election to happen. Oh, I've been ready since, like... <laughs> Born ready. <laughs> <laughs> I just I saw like, my, like, 2,000th ad and heard an equal amount. Uh, they're all pulling out the stops in this final run-up to Monday. Yeah, so, yeah, let's let's wrap this thing up. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be another doubleheader. Uh, we've got Conservative Party candidate Dr. Ashish Shashan, who will be talking about his passion to give back to the country he made his home and why this is a new Conservative Party looking for your vote. He will be here at the bottom of the hour in the first part of the show here. Uh, friend of Open Source as well, uh, in so much as we are in the business of making friends here. But uh, he has right. been a frequent, yeah, he's been a frequent flyer on the show. Uh, going back to all the way back to the first season, he's like he's like our our uh, you know that that character on your favorite show that shows up once a season because he's a fan favorite, uh, like uh, like Q. He's our Q. Oh yeah, right. Like not Q and on, but like Q from Star Trek. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of our favorite recurring characters, Lloyd Longfield. Uh, and so let's press play on that interview. Uh, starting right now. So Lloyd Longfield, thank you so much for joining me today. Adam Donaldson, it's always good to chat. I apologize for the audio quality of my voice. <laughs> That's it's it's not a technical malfunction. You no, you you really sound like that. <laughs> don't adjust your stats. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so given that you're chronic laryngitis from uh, being the the MP for Guelph, uh, why do you want to? Uh, sign up for another hitch what what's what's you know what's the, what are the stakes for you personally this election well i think the personal stake for me is the recovery phase of what we've been going through for 18 months and hopefully we're heading into the recovery phase now i think we've seen a lot of business recovery but uh, still a long ways to go and then there's the new economy with the green jobs and i think guelph should be an exciting time for guelph it's very guelph is well positioned to uh get going into this uh, the, the new the next economy looking at things in a more long-termish scale if, if you were to be re-elected and if a full four-year term uh is to be served uh that means guelph will have had a liberal member of parliament for 30 years and it's, it's not a 30-year lloyd hitch of course we had no. brenda chamberlain we had frank valera and then you were elected yeah but in terms of just you know that kind of optics like three decades of of liberal leadership here in guelph at the federal level um to, to what do you i mean i guess one of the couple of ways to look at it is like what do you owe that and then is is that you know a, a selling point that there's been this like sort of singular ideological vision from from our our federal seat well you would have thought i would have i would have thought about that question that's an adam <laughs> donaldson question uh, future trivia so, uh, good. No, good question. I think, uh, in terms of Guelph itself being a progressive community and having a progressive party, 
uh, before the Liberal Party was the Progressive Conservatives with Bill Weingard, which uh, back in those days had a lot more progress to it than what we're seeing now. Um, so I think it, it suits the personality of Guelph to have a progressive party. And uh, we have been in a minority. We've been in opposition with Frank Valeriot. So we've had different types of, of, uh, of representation in Guelph. I've been fortunate to be uh, my first four, two, four years being in, uh, in government uh, with a majority mandate and then having the minority mandate. Uh, which was a little bit more challenging. And we'll see what happens going forward, what type of government we have. It'll be very interesting, uh, very interesting to see how many people show up to vote, who they're voting for, how long it's going to take to count the vote, uh, which might be up to a week. Um, so I'm not sure what election night will look like. But, but going forward, I think in terms of Guelph uh, leading on climate change initiatives, leading in agriculture, uh, having the university here with a lot of progressive thinkers uh, coming from the university, many choosing to live in Guelph. Um, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to be, be part of the whole action with the Liberal Party. I mean, I'm getting the sense you're kind of warmed up. So I'm going to I'm going to reach for some of the hardballs now. And, you know, it pains me, Lloyd. We've been through so much together, but uh, I'm curious about. You know, this has been kind of a rough campaign for your leader, Justin Trudeau. Uh, I'm not by no means defending the throwing of rocks and the throwing of swear words and all that, but I think there is a palpable anger. And, and I don't think it's about what in some quarters Justin Trudeau has done, but what he has promised to do and has not done. Um, can I get your response to sort of where people are coming from with that very particular anger that, and I guess also at the same time, would Justin Trudeau be having as hard of time as he would right now if maybe you know uh there was a little bit more of that forward momentum on things like i don't know electoral reform or uh you know pharmacare and, and things that have been promised it's you know th th there's a, there is a progressive wing out there that uh although may have embraced trudeau in some quarters that there are some who are pretty angry at him for not delivering yeah i think you know last night for the first time in months i watched some american news <laughs> Just, you know, after January, I had had enough for several months, um, but I did tune in and, and also saw anger south of the border. I think there is a, a faction of people that are distrustful of government in general, really don't want government telling them what to do. I think we see that in Canada as well, that um, the January 6th event was a symptom of a bigger I think underlying issue of, of how people see government. And um, so that part of what's going on here, I think is also something we see in other countries. Some of it would be attributed to the personalities involved, uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with, with uh, frustration in general and uh, looking at ways of taking out that frustration. As you said, it's it's not acceptable to have rocks thrown or to be to be protesting in front of hospitals where people are trying to save other people's lives. Um, but there is a there is a, a pushing back and, a, and an, a way that we need to look at um, how do we deal with the divisions that exist in Canada and and really exist elsewhere with progressive governments. I was thinking about a, a specific example, too. And in, in a few weeks ago, Prime Minister Trudeau announced that uh, if reelected, the Liberal government would pursue 10 
mandatory sick days. And people hear that and think, well, we're a year and a half into the pandemic. The liberals were a government last term. This could have been enacted anytime. How is that not sort of cynical political calculation? Well, I think there's some leadership by example going on there that uh, the, the levers that the federal government has is over federally employed workers, uh, which mm-hmm. is a small percentage of the Canadian workforce, but still an important percentage. And uh, to show some leadership to say, for the workers that are under our control, under our control or our, our payroll, um, we are going to have men, uh, some uh, sick days available. Uh, we did have that in Ontario for a short period of time. It got taken away by the provincial conservative government. And that's another layer to this discussion, I think, is you've got several conservative governments in, in provincial legislatures that are actively working against the liberal government federally. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we saw more working together. Uh, and then as the pandemic continued on, we saw some of the normal political divisions taking hold where politicians were fighting politicians instead of fighting COVID. And the same can be true uh, said of, uh, of uh, climate change, where we had two provincial governments or three provincial governments taking us to the, so the federal government, to the Supreme Court, losing their case, and then coming back to the table to say, so how are we going to work together? And so far, we've got a bit of a void there. Um, so we are fighting divisions within Canada, both from progressive and, and far right. And we've also got divisions within the, uh, between federal and provincial, which have existed for years, but now I think are a little bit more toxic. And in terms of this campaign, you'll see that coming. I've seen that coming out. Uh, I saw it in the House of Commons where most people aren't watching debates, um, but it's something I've been seeing develop over COVID. I'm going to push back a little because sure. that that's a political calculation as well to say, we want to do this, but the p- other governments won't let us. So we're going to do this instead. Wouldn't another tactic be to do the action, like introduce mandatory sick days for federal workers, let that kick in, show those positive effects, and then put the pressure back on the provincial governments to do the same. Cause I mean, it, you're, it sounds a bit like you're describing leadership from behind. Uh, I've always loved that saying. And in fact, that was my leadership style when I was in business. Uh, that leadership from behind is, is, is I think, a, a valid way of leading. But in terms of us pushing back and forth on, could we have done this earlier? We are dealing with a global pandemic. The people that were in the workforce did have access to other ways of being uh, paid through the wage subsidies from employers or through the emergency recovery benefit that we introduced for $2,000 a month. Coming out of COVID, more people returning to the workforce, this becomes one of those tidewater issues that we say, okay, now that the tide's going out, we have to take a look at how do we improve our support for people that had support through COVID that no longer have that type of support. Fair enough. I, I I want to visit the climate change piece of this because sure. um, no one no one will dispute that uh, uh, you know that the price on carbon is necessary. A lot of people do applaud the Liberal government for bringing that into effect. There's also the flip side of it too, which is a lot of people are saying 
we shouldn't have bought a pipeline. We shouldn't be supporting oil sands production. Any any future production in the oil sands is another, you know, uh, another strike, you know, in, in our fight against climate change. IPCC says, you know, the time is now. Uh, there is no tomorrow. I guess the question then is, has the liberal government done everything humanly possible it can from your perspective to win the fight against climate change? We've had a, a heck of a start on that fight and in, in considering in two years, the progress that has been made. Uh, and since 2015, the, the progress leading up to the, the actions of the last few years, um, the, in terms of pipelines, and yes, that is an argument that's out there that's, uh, that you're right to point out. Uh, but looking at really the goal is capping emissions on oil and gas, and then having those emissions go to net zero, with the first measurement being taken in 2025, the next one 2030, and then every five years after that. So the goal is to, in fact, the law now is to get our emissions to net zero, including oil and gas, which is a significant part of Canada's emissions. It's about 23%. How the pipelines operate upstream and downstream is all part of the environmental assessments that goes into setting the goals. Where we're at in the last two years, we've gone from trying to get to 30% reductions um, from the 2012 numbers uh, or 2015 numbers um, by 2030. And instead of 30%, we're now heading on a trajectory to, to reduce uh, uh, by 36% the, uh, the reduction, the, the greenhouse gas emissions. And now we're changing that goal to 40 to 45% reductions. As we move forward, we can only make those goals more aggressive according to the new law that I was, I was fortunate to be in the Environment Committee when we were debating that law. At the time, had some support from the NDP during the campaign, I don't see the same level of support. Uh, political rhetoric takes over. But you're, you're also right that we've got very high grades on our, our approach, which is um, with the pricing on pollution, the credits going back, a market-based approach, uh, limiting or capping the emissions from oil and gas, uh, in introducing electric buses, electric vehicles, high-use vehicles uh, with zero emission. Um, building standards and, and going to deep retrofit programs. It's all part of the, the, um, the plan to get us to net zero by 2050 or earlier. And I always say or earlier because we also wanted everybody to have or 75% of Canadians to be vaccinated by September. And we did that by July. So let's set the goal and then beat the goal. Then how do you respond? To, I mean, there was a small protest outside your office uh, a couple of months ago. It was before the election, so it was in the summer sometime. But um, there there are people who are like, we're, we're just kind of not going fast enough to suit them. And it's kind of hard to not to sympathize because, you know, it, it is the fate of the planet at stake. And if the fate, you know, in, in, in the movies, when the fate of the planet's at stake, nobody's like, hey, let's, you know, let's take it easy and really think throughout it. It's, it's always rush, 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 rush. I guess when, when you get that confrontation and people come up to you and go, Lloyd, we're just not moving fast enough. Your answer is. Well, I'm a father and a grandfather, and I'm as concerned as everybody else around the future of the planet. And the, but, but what I'm also 
concerned with is that we have a plan that we're measuring the parts of the plan that need to be accelerated. We've got now a net zero accelerator fund, $8 billion uh, to accelerate the implementation of net zero programs. I would say to the protesters, be specific. Where do we need to accelerate? And uh, we've got 30 electric buses coming into Guelph. We're working on net zero homes. I talked to the mayor about accelerating some of those processes between us and the municipal government. And we are working together on some of that. But where can we do better specifically? And then let's set those goals in place, measure them, and make sure that we're on track. So it's uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, <laughs> don't panic button. Yes, we need to panic because there is a crisis, but we don't need to panic in an uncontrolled way. We need to be controlled with our responses, knowing that we only got one shot at this. We better make it a good one. Hitchhiker's Guide is one of the deeper cuts we've had on the show in a while, but uh, I'll leave that there. Uh, coming back to something you said um, about people not having the full faith and trust in, in the government. You're in the in government, government in general, the government so, in general. Yeah, that, that's and it goes across all sort of government levels and 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 political types. But you're in the government. You're part of the decision making. You're, you're fairly accessible as, as so far as politicians go. I mean, how how do you win people back? How do you get like those people to sort of take part in the process again and not sort of draw on conspiracy theories and, and things they read on internet and Facebook and social media feeds, you know, uh, you know, it's not so much about mitigating those people. I think it's, it's so much about like trying to get them involved in, in the process and not believe in things that may or may, may not be happening. So how do you win those people back? I think people need to be a part of the process and they need to feel that they're part of the process as importantly as, as being part of the process to see their contributions being considered, to have these types of discussions, to look at the fastest and best way forward on, on some of these issues like reconciliation, climate change, getting through COVID, which we're still in the midst of. And what we saw in COVID was the community in Guelph, I, I can speak more about Guelph uh, than other communities, that people rose to the challenge. People were delivering food to seniors. People were improving the way that uh, we were protecting each other. We had businesses creating PPE, businesses creating ventilators, contributing to the national stockpile that we needed to create. Uh, people did pull together across party lines, across ideologies, and really were part of the solution. And I think that's the lesson going forward we need is how do we do things together knowing that we'll have different opinions, different approaches, but knowing that we have a goal that we want to get to together. Once people are part of the economic recovery and are part of the solutions, then they aren't going to be screaming at the other guys because they will be the other guys. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if everybody is working together, uh, we can have dif differences of opinion, disagreements, but hopefully we get past the point of demonizing the other side. That's a good segue because it's not my responsibility to do image rehab for the prime minister, but I think that a lot of this is very personal hatred and animosity for him specifically. Yeah. You are there like literally, I'm, you know, before, in times before COVID, literally in the room, 
in the caucus room with uh, Justin Trudeau or in the Zoom room, if we're to update the metaphor. But uh, talk about the Justin Trudeau, you know, and experience uh, on that sort of individuals, you know, in the space, like not necessarily Justin Trudeau we see on TV, but Justin Trudeau as he's when when he's interacting with his MPs. It's uh, the word that comes to mind is consistent. Um, it doesn't matter whether the door is closed or the door is open. Uh, the, Justin Trudeau is very thoughtful and does listen and maintains a really high level of, of detailed information. Um, he doesn't just gloss over things. He, he gets into the, into the weeds where, when he needs to. And um, we have had uh, you know, many caucus discussions where his, his opinion was changed by the end of the meeting. You know, if if we were standing up saying, you know, we're all hearing this, and I would say in Guelph, I'm hearing this, and somebody would stand up and say, you know, New Brunswick, I'm hearing the same thing. Um, one of them had to do with how do we hit a balance on gun control? Mm. And uh, knowing that uh, Toronto, downtown Toronto is going to be very different than rural Canada, and how do we get together with, we could have a solution that's really good for one area, one person. Uh, or one group of people, but uh, how do you work across? So he is very consistent with the way that he listens, but there is a very concerted effort to attack him as a, uh, attack his personality, forget policy, attack his personality. And that, you know, the ethics, so-called ethics breaches that, you know, two out of three weren't breaches. The third one, he said, yeah, I should have recused myself from that discussion. And, and uh, you know, lessons learned, he didn't hide from the fact that, uh, that uh, there was a, a violation on, on ethics, which you know, I think is also, there's, a, there's an honesty there. But the personal attacks, and now we're seeing more coming from the NDP, which is unusual for the NDP. Normally the NDP will criticize policy, but they've picked up the, the banner on attacking the person, which it's not my style. Um, I think most Canadians are more conciliatory when they're working on problems. Um, but we are seeing this uh, demonizing of the other person that's very concerning for me. Mm -hmm. What are the top three? And let's try and limit it to three. But, uh, you know, for you, um, I mean, I realize the party has this platform, of course, but uh, you as a politician, I've had your hands in many pies. And I know you've taken a lot of pride in being a jack of all trades on Parliament Hill. But for you, what are your top three if you are reelected? What, uh, where does uh, your work take you uh, this fall and beyond? I can actually cap it at three. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's not usual for me, as you know. <clears throat> but the uh, fighting, fighting down COVID and getting us to the other side of this pandemic or getting it normalized, it's going to be with us for a long time. How are we going to return to some sort of normal life? with the changes we discussed earlier of, of being better at including everybody in recovery, including everybody in food security, housing, looking at vulnerable people, which are really vulnerable now when, when having gone through COVID. So getting to the other side of the current COVID crisis, when I was first elected on this term, uh, climate change was the biggest thing I was working on and continues to be. And the implementation of our climate change agenda, now we have a, an accountability law, we have some things put in place, creating a clean water agency that will help us with the Indigenous 
uh, water as well as water for all Canadians. We're looking at the net zero uh, programs. There's going to be a lot of work around climate change and will be ongoing between now and 2050 or sooner. And the, the next one for me is the business recovery. And I feel like I'm coming into a sweet spot for myself, having been at the Chamber of Commerce and before that, having 28 years in manufacturing and in businesses across Canada. How do we help businesses retool, rehire? There's a workforce shortage in many, many areas now that we have to fill. How do we get Conestoga involved, University of Guelph, the high schools? Second Chance Employment just got over a million dollars from the federal government to get retooling. Uh, helping vulnerable people get back into employment. So I could really see myself rolling up my sleeves on that. In fact, that's what I was doing before the election was called. I was getting ready for the fall. And come September, people are back in school. How do we get those people into co-op positions? How do I work with the employers locally to get people into, into the jobs they're trying to fill? So those will be the three, COVID, uh, climate change, and uh, job recovery for everybody. What has the pandemic taught you about governing and the role of governing? We can go fast when we need to. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, when we were rolling out the CERB program, that was in a matter of days. And, and uh, government was, was working across levels of government, as well as taking input from, from experts across Canada, uh, trying something quickly with uh, CRA to get uh, some things put in place that normally would have gone through employment insurance we really responded quickly. So that gave me some hope that when we're fighting climate change, when we need to move, we can move. We just need to take the, the encumbrances, out, out of, encumbrances out of it so that people can just go and uh, to do it in a way that's not going to be overly risky because we also have to get a really good shot at doing the right thing first. But if we don't get it 100% right, at least we're starting down the road to getting things better. And then we fix as we go. So that was a, it was a lot of fix as we go. We had uh, telephone calls seven days a week. And uh, we had uh, conference calls at 5.30 every night, Monday to Monday. To Monday. And um, maybe that's why my voice is so messed up. <laughs> 18 months of talking. Um, and I have to talk better. I have to use my diaphragm. And, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not using my voice properly and it shows. Maybe one more question then, aside from how you use your voice, but looking back at 18 months of fighting COVID, what's, yep. what's one thing that uh, the government could have done better in hindsight? That's a tough one. There were several small steps. Um, you know, the, the, the supply chain coverage that we had, I would say what we could have done better was to have Canadian supply in the first place. And uh, that's something that we're now putting in place. If we were producing our own vaccines, we wouldn't have had a lot of the stop and start that we had on our supply chain for vaccines. Uh, we have now created a supply chain on, on medical equipment that has really accelerated instead of relying on the United States. And don't forget, part of this was we had a Donald Trump administration going at the same time so we had variables that we just couldn't control because nobody could control what was going on with the administration in the United States. We're on a better footing now, but we did, that also showed us the reliance that we have with the states has to be really looked at and, and uh, that we have to rely on our international partners more. And we have created some of that. So I think 
being more self-reliant as a country is, is what we could have done better. Uh, and we are trying to do better on that now. Someone should write a book about that, Donald Trump. No. Uh, <laughs> I guess well, you have to learn from history or you repeat it, right? I guess so. Uh, Lloyd, the, the most essential question of this interview is next, and it is, uh, where can people learn more about your campaign? More about my campaign at lloydlongfield.ca. Uh, we've got a website and uh, we've got lots of contact uh, points there in terms of sending me notes, uh, give me phone calls and going onward. Uh, it's very similar to mplongfield.ca, which is dormant right now. Um, I use my website as one of my main tools. Follow me on social media. Twitter is kind of the one that I spend some time on uh, because of news feeds and things. But we've also got Facebook and, uh, and Instagram. I'm not doing TikTok. Yeah, well, he tells me I should. Uh, we'll we'll leave that there, and uh, if people want to people, people want to encourage you to get on TikTok, we'll leave that to them. That's how yeah. baldics work. But Lloyd Longfield, thank you so much for uh, hopping on with me today on Zoom. Now, uh, no, Mr. Donaldson, it's great to talk to you at at any time, and uh, thanks, Adam, for all you're doing. So that was Lloyd Longfield, the incumbent. Uh, coming up next, we will have his perhaps most persistent challenger, at least if we're looking at who might form a government. We're going to talk to Dr. Ashish Sashan after this break. You are listening to Open Source Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. choice and boldly stand behind it I've made a firm decision to stick right to my guns trouble is I constantly revise it I'm wishy-washy namby-pamby sometimes hem and haw but only up until my mind gets made then I become committedly come see come saw I have a backbone but it's easy my friends say I should hide it or try to find a cure They say I'm indecisive, me I'm not so sure Whenever folks start taking sides, things start getting tense So me I'm sitting firmly on the fence turns red They ask me who I side with but how am I to choose The coin I toss keeps landing on its edge And they say the grass is greener Just try the other side 
Well, I definitely, maybe, positively might But the second I decide, those second thoughts commence So I'm sitting firmly on the fence Yeah, I keep getting richer by keeping my two cents I'm sitting firmly on the I just might stay firmly on the me I'm sitting firmly on the fans That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week Royal Cat Records 21 Mac Donnell in the downtown the little big record shop that song was by an artist called Wendell Ferguson very appropriate for the times it's called <laughs> Firmly on the Fence it was suggested <laughs> to us by a longtime listener and the album is called Happy Songs Sell Records, Sad Songs Sell Beer. So much truth in all of that, really. The so song, everybody wins. The album title, the I guess everybody's gotta get off the fence in the next few days though, if they wanna propel democracy forward in this country. Wow. There's a lot of undecideds, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of undecideds this election. Um I think the, the advance polls have been high, is that right? Did you see that number, like twenty or twenty-five thousand people yeah. have? Yeah, that's that's huge. I think that's the largest I've ever heard. Well, it was, yeah, no, I think it's we we kind of keep setting records for advanced polls, and I think it's yeah. people like, uh, voting options. It turns out when you take barriers away and make it easier for people to vote, they will vote. Whether oh. that uh, is is a you know gonna bear out on Monday, we'll have to wait and see. If you are undecided, perhaps this will. Uh, persuade you to give the conservatives a second look. Uh, Dr. Sashan certainly hopes that you will, and uh, we got a chance to talk to him uh, earlier this week, along with Lloyd Longfield, and uh, we were glad to have him because uh, we weren't able to get him on last election. And uh, well, I've 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 pumped it up enough. Let's let's roll the let's roll the audio tape and listen to what uh, Dr. Sashan has to say. So Ashish Sashan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Adam. And um, thank you, everyone who is listening to this uh, program. And um, good morning to everyone here. Thank you, Adam, one more time. And um, <laughs> it has been um, long I wanted to talk to you. And finally, that day is here. <laughs> the finally, and, the day has yeah, come. <laughs> uh, not a lot of guests thank our listeners. So I, I thank you for that. Um, let's start with... Um, I guess just, you know, I guess the basic question is you ran for the Conservative Party in 2019. What made you want to re-up again? What made you want to uh, take another shot at uh, becoming the MP for Guelph? I think it's my passion to serve the community. I think uh, I'm very passionate. I think this is the best way to give back to the country you belong to. And uh, I'm extremely, I really personally, I feel that I'm very blessed to be in Canada. And um and it has given me so much to me and my family. And uh, the only way I really feel the most I can give, use my all my academic knowledge and my passion to um, give back is through public service. Mm -hmm. I had a, a very particular question I wanted to ask you because I, I, I don't remember if you were the first acclaimed candidate or not, but I think you were probably one of the definitely the first to sort of be out on the campaign trail earlier this summer. I'm curious... What did people think when they, when you knocked on the door and they come and it wasn't the skip the dishes guy and it wasn't somebody delivering an Amazon parcel, but it was a political candidate wanting to talk about their vote? How did, you, how did that you, go down? 
yeah, that's that's a very interesting question, Adam. And uh, uh, starting with, uh, I, I I think Aisha uh, was um, mm. uh, the candidate before me a few weeks or days. You I don't exactly right, yeah. remember. Okay, but yes, absolutely, we are on the campaign trail for many months now. And uh, so yes, um, when we started this door to door knocking, I was really skeptical. I uh, <laughs> I was thinking that maybe I'll get a lot more doors slammed on my face. But uh, but uh, you know, Guelph is an amazing city. You know that Adam and people are extremely kind, and they they really welcomed us on the doors. They really and I that and that basically motivated us to keep going. And uh, today, I think uh, I've done thousands and thousands of doors at this point of time, and we do it every day. And um, I will keep doing it till the last day possible. Mm. And it's amazing to uh, go to the doors and listen to people one-on-one. I think that's an essential component of a democracy. Uh, people must know who, they are, who their representative is going to be. And uh, the only way is to interact with them one-on-one and on the doors. And so thank you, Guelph. Thank you so much for welcoming me on the doors. And uh, it has been a wonderful and wonderful experience. It just um, makes me more passionate to do what I'm doing. It just vindicates everything what I'm doing today. I also wanted to talk specifically about, you know, your community. Um, I remember at the 2019 nomination meeting, there was a lot of excitement about you specifically getting nominated. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about um, that representation and maybe why that matters. You, you talk a lot about being a new Canadian in your campaign. So can you talk a bit about why that matters and, and how that guides you in sort of running for office? Yes. Uh, Adam, this is, uh, I think it's a very, my participation as a conservative party candidate was very historic for the city of Guelph. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was the first time an immigrant was here who in such a short amount of time, Okay, and I give the credit to Canada for that always. I said, uh, I always say this, it's Canada which did it to me um, and I just went along. (laughs) Uh, And um, I got my citizenship in 2018, Adam, 2018, Mm. this is 2021. And this is the second time I'm running as a candidate for a major party in Canada. I think so, it speaks volumes about our country. I I gave it a lot of credit to our country and uh, so I always say it's a historic election. Mm. Um, and um, our com- it was not only my community, I think the immigrant community, which felt the doors have been opened for them uh, into politics. And uh, so, and, and the nomination when it took place, it was not only an immigrant community, it was the entire world which came together for my nomination. So yes, uh, I think it motivates uh, new immigrants that yes, um, Canada is a very welcoming place. You can uh, achieve whatever you want to if you move ahead and uh, it gives you all the opportunities. And um, so I'm ever so thankful. And I again use the word vindicate. I think all these things <laughs> just vindicate that what I'm doing is right. The passion for my uh, passion, which I have for the country is right. And uh, country is helping me. And um, so, so yes, I think that that was the very reason. I think everyone was so excited at that point of time. And uh, today when I'm on the doors, uh, young immigrants are with me, okay, and they, which were which were never on the doors before. Mm. So I think we are setting the right example, what we can do and what we can achieve in this country. And um, as I always say, this is the best country in the world, and um, I have no second thoughts about it. And um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think uh, I'm just passionate to do what I'm doing right now. 
Mm-hmm. So to recap, 2018, you become a citizen. 2019, you decide to run for office. <laughs> oh, well, uh, 20, I, I think, yes, I go back on that. It's not the story of my immigration process does not start in 2018. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, it took me precisely 14 years of mm-hmm. process, 14 mm-hmm. years of process for me to become a Canadian citizen. Okay, um, so I applied for my Canadian, uh, for my permanent residency back from India in 2004. That's, mm. that's, that's when the paperwork started. And uh, 2004, when I applied for the citizenship, uh, for my permanent residency, we get some tentative timelines that how long is going uh, to take for your PR to get processed. And at that time in 2004, the number which was thrown to me uh, was five to seven years. Mm-hmm five to seven years. So that would mean that in 2004, if I take the low side of it, it will be 2009. Mm-hmm. And if I take the higher side of seven years, it will be 2011. <laughs> and uh, so my process started then in 2004, and I got my permanent residency in 2010. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, because um, I wanted to come to Canada and um, my permanent residency would have taken time. So I moved to US for my PhD. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind that was that while my PhD will go along in the background, my permanent residency paperwork will be moving in parallel. And that exactly what happened. Um, 2005, I came to US for my PhD program and um, for toxicology in the department of biochemistry, biophysics and molecular biology at Iowa State University. And 2010, I got my PR. And oh my God, um, I can't tell you that I, how much I wanted to come to Canada in 2010, but my PhD was still two years away. Mm-hmm. So I completed my PhD in 2012. And the first thing I did was drive to Canada. Uh, <laughs> I, I drove to Canada in, on 13th of January, 2012, uh, straight to Guelph. I've never been to any other city. <laughs> I, I, I think I did my homework where I wanted to be, and um, and I and I think um, this is this is the best city in the world I found because I had the option to go to any place in Canada. Mm-hmm. I even had the option to stay anywhere in in US, but uh, I think uh, Canada was the only country I wanted to be, and golf is the only place I, I wanted to settle my my family here. Um, so schooling was a great great uh, motivator for that and uh, mm-hmm. I knew and uh, I chose the school first for my children that was Edward Johnson uh, French Immersion School mm-hmm. um, I had to move them away from there because it was 100% French which <laughs> I did not know it would be uh, I wanted to be a part of everyday life for my children in their homework and all so I moved them from Edward Johnson to St. Patrick's um, in 2013, mm-hmm. and then to St. Michael's. So yeah, we every immigrant has every immigrant has a story, Adam, and uh, and uh, every and every immigrant is really. I always use the word blessed to be here, and we all. Um, and I think the, oh, those stories basically make Canada a very exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so not two years is 14 years okay and um yeah <laughs> i was i was and i i hope i'm not taking too much of your time here but it was not directly i moved to uh, as a candidate i did work for gloria's campaign 
Then I worked with Ray Ferrero's campaign and I've been a part of Gulf EDA since 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, okay. So mm-hmm. I think, um, so that's a long answer to your uh, short <laughs> question. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, I do want to kind of get into, start getting into the politics though. Um, I've heard from other candidates that uh, they're hearing in their canvassing efforts and their engagement efforts, climate change is a big issue. Uh, I mean, aside from the pandemic, of course, that kind of casts a shadow over everything. But uh, can you talk a bit about uh, how you are approaching the issue of climate change and uh, and whether or not you feel that's sort of like going to be a deciding factor, whether people are going to vote for you this election? Climate change, you know, uh, Adam, I'm a toxicologist. Okay, um, now I know toxicologists worth its salt is not passionate about environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is. It is a, we are passionate about environment. We have to save our uh, environment. We have to focus on climate change. And uh, I, I know it's like uh, not only the economy, but the future of a country depends upon um, how we deal these issues of climate change and environmental issues. And um, I'm you know, we have an amazing platform. I think I don't want to read the platform here, but the basic theme is that we are serious about it. Okay, and uh, I'm passionate about it. And, um, and uh, I, I, as a scientist, as a toxicologist, I feel Canada not only has to play a leading role um, in, uh, internally within, within Canada as a country, but it has to play a leading role around the world for the, for the global community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is not only important for Gulf. Uh, it is, uh, I think this issue is far greater than an election issue. It's kind of a survival issue to some extent in long run. And uh, so I, I think uh, I'm passionate about it and um, irrespective, I, well, um, I don't want to share this secret, but I am working on a book on environment. I think it will come out in <laughs> Um, if elections were not there, it might have been uh, timelines would have been shorter. But I think in 2023, we'll, you'll see the first book uh, from me. I did write a book on food toxicology, and this is on the environment. And um, so, yes, we are serious about it, and I'm, I'm passionate about it. And, um, it's, and I believe it's not only an important election issue. I think uh, Canada has to play a leading, leading role. We have the resources, we have the talent. And I think uh, people are aware of it. And that's very interesting. Uh, on the doors, I, I hear about environment a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I think, yes, I'll go along with you. Yes, it's an important issue. It's an extremely important issue. And um, I'll work in whatever capacity uh, possible to make sure that the future generations have the clean drinking, clean water, clean air, clean uh, environment to enjoy. I'm going to phrase this the way a local environmental advocate would phrase it, that earlier this year, there was a Supreme Court case uh, about the efficacy of the carbon tax of the the pollution pricing law. Uh, A lot of conservative politicians were pushing for that. Um, Of course, there was also the the sort of famous story of the the party refusing to uh, endorse climate change, uh, human made climate change as a issue in the platform too. How can people trust that a conservative government would take that action on climate change given some of the skepticism that still exists in your party? Uh, well, our party is a big 10 party, uh, Adam. Okay, we, uh, so I'm in front of you. I'm saying I'm passionate about it. Okay, and, um, and when I use the word, the trust is a imp- very important factor. 
you can um, and you can uh, people can refer back to this program at this moment what I just said and uh, and uh, remind me if I if I change my statements here. Uh, so a party has decided that carbon pricing I think uh, that gives more uh, leverage to the individual Canadians to make their choices is a, a better way than taxation. Uh, and uh, the other important component is that once the taxes go back to the government, the government uh, can use them in many different other ways. But when pricing is concerned, uh, it, is, it is solely for the purpose of you going green. Mm -hmm. And I, so that is where I feel our party is taking a very concrete step. And, uh, and I, I'm very, I trust that program will work and um, I, I will work uh, um, towards environment and climate change. I'll use all my academic knowledge and my passion to, for, that, for that in this direction. And, uh, and by the way, uh, when I immigrated to Canada to Guelph, this was one of the issues I did look into. Mm. And I, I knew before I came here that environment is a big, big issue in Guelph. So it was one of the factors that I was here. So now I can't, um, uh, I, I can't just say that, well, I, I came for environment. I'm not passionate about the environment. I think it doesn't go that way. Mm -hmm. so, I think anyway, you, you sort of cut it uh... The same can be said about the Liberals' environmental platform, that uh, there's a lot of moder moderation there, moving in at sort of a moderate pace. You've probably encountered people on the campaign trail that say we're not moving fast enough uh, on, on climate action. And there was, of course, the IPCC report a couple of weeks ago that basically said the same. Uh, so how do you answer those people that maybe look at the platform and go, we acknowledge that the Conservatives are trying to move in that direction to tackle climate change, but it's just not fast enough. Yeah, you know, 2030, 2030 is the target date where we have to meet the uh, Paris climate uh, targets. And uh, our platform clearly mentions that if you go to conservative.ca forward slash plan, uh, details of that plan uh, of regarding the environment are there. And uh, what a party is going ahead with is that we will meet those targets and we will also grow our jobs and economy. Okay, and I think that is... Uh, um, a very um, differentiating factor between the liberal platform and the conservative platform that we don't want to give on the jobs and the economy, but we want to meet the targets. And uh, I think that is how I try to answer um, my uh, voters on the doors. And, uh, and I, I will uh, recommend everyone to please visit our, uh, uh, our detailed plan, which is on conservative.ca. And uh, it does, uh, and we, and a lot of uh, third party um, organizations have really vetted that program and uh, 2030, yes, it is. We have to meet those um, targets, not only for ourselves, but also to set an example for the world. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, and I think a lot of people know you, you are a scientist, you're a toxicologist. Uh, you are actually one of many candidates in, in Guelph in this election who have a scientific background. Uh, we are seeing perhaps not a big anti-science voice in, in this country right now, but it, it's a fairly persuasive one and a fairly loud one. Can you talk a bit as a scientist, how do you win people back to trust, trusting the science, trusting our public health officials, um, following that public health guidance? How, how, do, how does science win people back? Hey, um... Well, I'm a scientist, so of course, um, it always um, a difficult challenge for me when people don't believe in science. Okay? <laughs> and so, 
of course. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's, I think it's a communication. So I always feel that when we, when you're trained to read scientific publications, okay, uh, we have to basically convert that language, which is more understandable uh, to everyone. I think that is where we, I always have felt that we have to simplify the language of science sometimes. Not that people are not smart, they're immensely mm -hmm. smart. Okay, I just uh, sometimes they don't have time to go through that review articles of 50 pages or 60 pages. And we condense that, condense that information in a, in, a, in a small paragraph and all those kind of things. And um, so, yeah, it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. And, um, and, I, and on the doors, um, you will, you, I did notice that if there's a particular issue, there'll be different sign, scientific publications supporting the, on, against, and, against and for that particular issue. I think that is also very uh, confusing as well. Right. I feel if that all that information is in one place where people can go between all the options in front of them that uh, this is for it, this is against it and let them make their own decisions. And I, I, I'm a big believer that uh, people are very smart. They can make their own decisions, Adam. And uh, I, I never, never doubt the intelligence of our fellow Canadians. So they, they, I think it's just the information flow that it might be a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's, it's not just a scientific problem too. I, I, I've read a lot of legalese in my life and that's not necessarily uh, helpful and uh, easy to translate. You can read the same paragraph three or four times and only maybe then start to get it. And that's just like sort of legal information. It's not necessarily scientific information either. Yes, I still find very difficult to understand a lot of jar scientific jargon. And uh, <laughs> it, uh, so it's, it's always, um, it takes time. So you're right. I, it really takes time. Mm. Uh, some, and so, and if, if, um, if I just move from toxicology to say um, industrial engineering, so it will take me time because I'm not trained for that. And uh, so, yes, I think the science should be simplified for everyone. And um, it is the job of the scientists actually to make sure that our communications are conveyed across the spectrum uh, in a way that can be understood the way they want you to understand. Mm -hmm. Has I'm not sure quite how to phrase it, but like the pandemic has changed a lot. And, you know, you you're not an epidemiologist, you're a toxicologist, completely different fields. But I mean, has the pandemic taught you anything about the way, you know, we communicate science, the way we tackle scientific problems in society on a grand scale and maybe lessons we can take with us as we're, we're fighting climate change. Like how do you tackle these big, like very scientific related problems and get everybody involved when, especially when most people aren't scientists? Uh, Adam, of course, if you look at the COVID uh, scenario, we, uh, we around the world, not only in Canada, we have a, uh, people are passionate on both the sides of vaccination and uh, not getting vaccinated. Okay, and uh, if the science is same, why are the inter uh, interpretations different? Mm. Okay, and uh, so that is what, I, when you say, what have I learned from COVID? And I think is, is we are not really communicating uh, in, in a very streamlined fashion so that everyone interprets the science the way it is written. Okay, because we, we can't have an analysis done and there can be multiple interpretations of that. It's possible. I don't say that's not possible, but uh, as far as COVID is concerned, 
I think it's for people to understand, we have to make sure that they have all the knowledge in front of them uh, to make their own. I still say, give the knowledge and let them make their decisions. Uh, so. This information though is a, is a big issue too, right? That, I mean, people aren't just like, it's not just people don't have access to information because often they do, but it's that they have equal and or greater access to bad information. Yes, that's what I that's what I mentioned a few moments ago, Adam. That if we can bring all the information together mm. at the same place, okay, that you don't have to switch between different uh, different gotcha. uh, yeah. different information. People can basically go side by side. Okay, this is uh, the information which I have. There's other alternative information there. Okay, and I they will make this decision because they're on the doors, Adam. I felt people like extremely red. <laughs> I sometimes have to come back and read what they just told me. And so, yes, they are, they are very informed. They're extremely read. And uh, so it's um, sometimes it's a challenge for me, myself. I, I come back with an aspect. I have to read a couple of hours because I did not know anything about the topic which I read, heard on the door. So I, I think we, I still say that it's the information flow. We have to, people are smart. They, I think I, we have to trust Canadians. They will make their own decisions. Our job is to provide the information, um, which uh, all the information available to them. Again, you're running for the Conservative Party. Your leader is Aaron O'Toole. Uh, what kind of prime minister do you think he would be? Like, what, how do you think, you know, if you were to explain what a prime minister Aaron O'Toole would look like, how would you explain it? You know, um, I have the highest respect for veterans. Okay, if I have my triage of respect. Is the, is the police forces, the people who have served this country, the seniors. Um, so he's a veteran. So I think he has my highest regard. Okay, and um, um, earlier when I used to be uh, travel uh, I, with my family, I used to always get some roses for my children so that if I see a veteran, I ask my children to go and give it, give it to the veteran and say, thank you for your service. Okay, because I wanted to instill the importance of veterans and in my children's life. Okay, so I, it's ingrained in me that this, the freedoms which we enjoy today are because of the people who have served. So Erin has my highest regards, highest respect. He's a patriot, okay, and a person who has served in the army will do the best for the country. Okay, when you put your life on the line, so you'll put your life on the line as a prime minister to make the best things happen for our country. So I have absolute trust in him. And, um, and uh, I think he'll be the, one of the best prime ministers in modern times. You, you just hugely raised the bar for him. I'm not sure how he might feel about that. Oh, thank you. That's a compliment. <laughs> that's, that's a compliment. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I am not in politics for vested interest, Adam. Okay, uh, I, as I said, that I'm very, very passionate about um, what I'm doing. And, uh, and I, if I don't believe my leader, then I wouldn't be as passionate. And so I have absolute trust in him. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very confident he'll be, as I said, he'll be one of the best prime ministers. And we need this prime minister right now. Actually, this is the time for him. And uh, so we, Canada needs him, and certainly. Let's actualize that passion a bit. Um, if you are lucky enough to be elected on September 20th, what does, you know, what, what are kind of some of the actions you will take? Uh, it's, it's like to outreach to Guelph communities, take Guelph concerns to Ottawa. What does like, uh, what does your office look like if you're a member of parliament? 
I'll I'll just um, I will not use the word lucky enough, uh, Adam. <laughs> I will Fair say enough. honored and privileged enough. Okay, yeah. I think it's it's an honor. It's an absolute honor to even be where I am right now. It's an absolute honor. Okay, and uh, it's just and I think it's a very unique uh, example for the world actually that uh, you can run for twice in three years of residentship. And uh, so, you know, it's um, one thing is that I want to listen to everyone. Okay, I want to be the voice for everyone. And I use the word honest because sometimes um, I, I think uh, we have to be honest voice of our people. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are the values of wealth? I think uh, with the current, whatever we have currently, I'm pretty sure how our prime minister acts and behaves. They are not the values of wealth. Okay, I want to stand up. Um, any such thing, I'll stand up for the people of wealth and um, I'll represent them honestly. And the honesty is a huge word. It's not just um, a few syllables long, but it's it takes a lot of courage to be honest. And um, see, I, I wish um, when all these things are happening in um, Ottawa, you know, there's so many ethics and ethics scandals and. Uh, the blackface and the SNC level. And I really wish uh, I have a voice uh, for wealth. Uh, like I, I had a voice right now who can stand up to those things and say, these are not my values. These are not uh, uh, the values of wealth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I want to be, uh, I think I'll be, I listen to everyone and I want to represent everyone. It's uh, my, uh, so that is what the role of a representative, representative is. Uh, and um, to just represent them selflessly. I think there's a sacred trust here. Mm. And that's uh, that um, you cannot let that sacred trust trust down when representing. And I think I'm, I'm up to it. Well, that leads us in nicely to this most essential question uh, for you today, Ashish. Where can people get more information about your campaign? <laughs> oh, we have to go. Uh, you, I gave you my phone number. I, you can share them if you want to, but... Um, I get a lot of calls, Adam, and uh, thank you for the very kind interview here, actually. And I knew um, nothing. I, what I expected is you're a very nice gentleman. And I, I heard about you on the doors, Adam. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so and um, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to know you. And uh, that being said, sorry, I go back to your question here. And uh, you can go to my website, um, um, www.ashisachan.ca. And um, also you can visit Marquis who's who in the world. And uh, you can, uh, if you go there, you can find my profile there as well, the details of my profile. And um, so, yes, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be Marquis who's in the world as well. So there's, they, they have a detailed profile of me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, visit our platform, uh, ashishsachin.ca or, um, and also I will encourage people to visit um, conservative.ca platform perfect well you survived the interview you very smoothly worked in a plug for your book so uh i will just wrap things up here by saying uh sheesh sashan thank you so much for all your time today thank you adam thank you so much and thank you everyone involved for listening to this who tuned in thank you and once again that was dr ashish sashan he is running for the conservatives And uh, that is the end of our election interviews for 2021. All that's left is election night. Well, I guess, uh, you know, there's still a couple of days in between. You know how it is. For sure. So tell the listeners to 
Feel free to join us on election night for the live broadcast, our long-running tradition, both with open sources and before. We'll have some guests on, some analysis, and of course the results as they come in. Although I think we're probably not going to have the final result on Monday. That's just my prediction, but uh, unless it's a an absolute wash. Wash? Mm. Scoosh? What am I going to say there? I don't know. <laughs> a creaming? Uh, no. Anyway. Join us Monday night starting at 8 here on CFRU 93.3 FM, and we will go until we go. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us at our website, just go to opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. But today, you'll be able to download this episode tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, so you'll have it in plenty of time for the election. You can listen to them over the weekend at your leisure. So this episode of Open Sources will be available tonight at 6 p.m. Just go to the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or your favorite podcast app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, or Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and of course, for all things CFRU, beyond listening to this fine station right here at 93.3, check out CFRU.ca. You won't regret it. Stay tuned for uh, programming from the Guelph Jazz Festival, live to air here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.